Hello and welcome to episode 157 of the Fertility Podcast. Hope you're well. I'm Natalie Silverman, your host, and if this is your first listen to the podcast, thank you for downloading it. Thank you for being here, and I hope that if you're listening to it because you have basically found out that it's not going to be straightforward to get pregnant and you're freaking out a bit, then just take a moment, just know that as far as this podcast is concerned, there's a ton of episodes for you to listen to covering a whole range of topics. There's amazing communities online and you aren't alone in what you're going through. I speak to lots of people sharing their stories, which you'll hear within my episodes. So if you want to hear people that you can relate to, then do have a look around previous episodes. I also speak to loads of different experts about all sorts of different issues that affect you and your fertility. So get yourself to thefertilitypodcast.com. There's a search box there. You can subscribe for my newsletter to keep up to date with when new episodes are out. And at the end of this episode, I will let you know about my socials and other ways that we can stay in touch. If you have found this in iTunes, it'd be awesome if you could subscribe and rate and review this podcast because it just helps me get an idea of what you think because that's the point of doing it, to help. And um, the more you tell me what you think about the content I'm putting out, the better I can make it. If this is your first listen and you're wondering, well, who are you? Uh, I am a radio broadcaster. I had fertility treatments in 2014 and my son is turning four next March so I'm not an expert I've just spent the last four and a half years talking to experts talking within the fertility community and interviewing people that are willing to share their stories because I'm an audio geek and love hearing stories and feel that when it comes to something like your fertility hearing people explain stuff to you can be quite a useful and cathartic way to consume what is overwhelming at the best of times a constant emotional roller coaster and if it means that you feel that someone's got your back which I'm happy to have then I'm doing something right okay so that's me in a nutshell now if you've listened to me before, you'll know that I put a big emphasis on male fertility. We had to have ICSI treatments and it's been a big part of my content creation to find out more about what affects men. Sadly, uh, sperm counts on the decline and there's so much that I kind of want to find out about with regards to the guys that what you're going to hear is a chat I had with two different male fertility experts and it's it's quite a scientific episode this in that there's a, a lot of interesting but quite dry information ahead but I think it's really useful and, and it's the only way I can really share it with you if I kind of present it in this way okay so you're going to hear from Dr. Muhammad Akhtar, who is a consultant gynecologist and andrologist in Manchester. And you're also going to hear from Amir Rahim, who is a consultant andrologist based at International Andrology in London. So I've got specialists from two ends of the country. And what we're talking about is research that's discussed the decline in male sperm count, what their views are on that, what tests can be done, what surgeries can be done, what lifestyle changes can be done, and ultimately what you need to be thinking about if you're dealing with male factor fertility issues. 
So we're going to hear from Dr. Mohammed Akhtar first. He's talking about the awareness needed in fertility education and men's health to help combat subfertility. So my key role in to work with people who require fertility treatment with assisted reproduction treatment, I see most men in my clinic because they have male fertility issues. Male fertility is declining over time. We used to see very few male fertility patients about 10 years ago. Now it is on the decline. If you look at Western men's semen analysis, the results have gone declined drastically. In the last 40 odd years, it has decreased by 50%. Every 10 years, World Health Organization, when they sub submit a new WHO semen analysis criteria, it is always what it was normal now will become abnormal. And this is what is going on. Abnormal results in the past now has become normal. We are reducing our cutoff values to lower and lower and lower. So morphology about 20 odd years ago was 10% normal. Now it's 4% normal. And we assume that when the WHO semen analysis criteria comes in 2020 or 2022, it will be 2% normal. This is how much the effect of environment, our lifestyle, our medical conditions is affecting male fertility. And in there's a suspicion that in next uh, 20 to 30 years, it will decline even further. And that is mostly related to the environmental toxins, our lifestyle, health issues, and maybe we're not, we're getting, trying to have babies later on in our life with age as well. Also BMI with our weight gain has an effect as well. So my idea to improve this is that men who have any medical conditions as a young ch child or young man, like hernia operation, undescended testes, uh, medical conditions like diabetes, high blood pressure, or requiring hormone treatment for their growth spurts, stature, or they require anything in medically, they should seek help earlier before they even go into relationships because their sperm quality might be better earlier on than later on in their lives and you can always freeze a sperm. And this is uh, happening across the globe. USA has already started this pro process. And if you look at the Apple and Facebook, they have been freezing eggs for their female employees since 2014. And I'm sure this will be happening for their male employees as well. So I think the time has come that we should seek help and assessment. I will not even say help. It says have a fertility assessment earlier on in their life rather than later on in their lives because that will save you having no sperm later on in life which will require stopping you having any surgeries for future and you can freeze a better quality sperm even there's some genetic conditions like Klinefelder syndrome which is a condition which you have an extra chromo X chromosome again the data suggesting that if younger men come they're more likely to find sperm, which will, might be a better quality. If, on the other hand, if you have no medical conditions, but you have been using this excellent slim fit shirts and skinny trousers, and you've been going to the gym using protein shakes or steroids to improve your health, then it might have a detrimental effect on sperm. So please, in before going on any of these, you can have your fertility assessment or probably freezing your sperm. A lot of information there with regards to male fertility and the state of it, because for the time I've been in this world, 
the last four years, it's been very focused on women seeking out the information. And then gradually this stat of it being a 50-50 issue when couples are diagnosed, that it is male factor, and men are slowly starting to talk more about it. But as far as getting that message to men, because there's quite a lot of pride involved here, isn't there, that there might be a problem. What do you think needs to happen? Do you think that it's in the GP's surgery that these kind of conversations are happening or we need to get it into schools with sex education that, that it's, it's, it's not just don't get pregnant, it's understand this is how it works and this could actually have an impact on you getting pregnant? I think a very valid question because it has to come from schools and colleges probably from sixth form or earlier that fertility is a situation which can affect you, you for men in future but GPs has to be on board because we can avoid a lot of interventions for later on which will be not only cost effective for NHS as a total but also good with reduced morbidity or mortality for men not requiring surgical interventions in later on in their life so like men with cystic fibrosis we know that that they will require an intervention we, Kleinfelder, we know that men will require intervention. So, But on the other hand, with conditions like men who require hormone replacement therapy as a young child, from pediatricians, by the time they have reached to adulthood, they should be going to see a fertility specialist, andrologist, to see seek their assessment because we can freeze their sperm earlier on in their life. I think it's an awareness, and I think this podcast is part of that. And I am glad that uh, people like uh, this company has been involved in to help men's health generally. Because without that, we could not move forward. Because we'll be, we'll have more subfertility than ever before. If you look at the World Bank data, since 1960, the average number of children per family were five. Now it's 2.4, and it is further declining. And not only because of female fertility. Most of it is related to male fertility, and which is an area which we still find challenging to comprehend because it does affect our mental health and it's just good effect. But I am suggesting have the assessment earlier on in your life rather than later on, so it should not then affect you because we might be able to do something about it earlier. We can't cure it, but there's a possible treatment available earlier on. So let's talk about some of the tests because the kind of assumed test is a semen analysis but there's there's more that can be done. So do you want to just highlight some of the key tests that, that men could seek out? Yeah, everybody's the primary investigation is semen analysis. However, you can also do in semen analysis specialized testing within the semen analysis. Okay, semen analysis is a generic test and then after that you can do some called hyperosmolic testing, which is you can put some solution to make if the membranes of the sperm head is swollen or not. You can do that. You can do an antibody testing, which current data doesn't support that. But you can also do sperm DNA fragmentation testing. And there are various different uh, tools available for that. That's an impact. There's a data from 2012, a systematic review published by a group in the University of Birmingham, that sperm DNA fragmentation is associated with high risk of miscarriages. And currently there is a currently trials going on with Tommy's in University of Birmingham about that still. So that's one way. The other issue is doing blood hormone profile. 
exactly the same as a female who goes to see seek some fertility treatment to go GP and the GP does normal hormone levels are FSH, LH and estradiol. In men, you require FSH, LH and testosterone. In the same way, the female is assessed, you can assess and depending on the hormone levels, you can assess is the testicles failing or going to fail in how many time. So you can have a prediction model similar to a woman. So if a woman wants to go and say, doctor, maybe I'm going to be menopausal, we do this test and we can predict she might be menopausal. We can do the same test. Men who have no sperm also have a slightly higher risk of testicle cancer in their lifetime. And for that reason, testicle ultrasound is allowed to have it to at least look at that. And then forever they require surveillance with either testicle ultrasound or self-examination every fortnightly. And that information has to go through. Yes, not only, so not one test is allowed. There's many various ways of testing. If men have no sperm or very low sperm count, then we should be doing genetic testing to look at the genetic makeup with chromosomal testing and Y chromosome microdeletion. Again, a genetic test which can have an effect that you may or may not have sperm, but it also, if you have sperm, you can give this Y chromosome microdeletion or chromosome rearrangement to your son, which has an impact on their life. Same for cystic fibrosis. So a cystic fibrosis gentleman will give it the cystic fibrosis gene to her chil his children. And for that, the children then, if they end up going for fertility, they need their partner to be tested. One of the things that I've discovered from conversations that I've had with male fertility specialists is that this early investigation with men doesn't happen very often. And that things like you've just said, the ultrasound, the blood test, even a physical examination, don't seem to happen and that say a man has a low sperm count he then may be fast-tracked through the fertility clinic doors rather than there being further investigation and I'm curious as to your view as to why and I know that there's not enough research on male fertility issues and I know that there's not necessarily the the resource is that fair to say but when the specialists like yourselves and you are the NHS and, and this is it we are talking in the UK so this is a UK specific answer I, I get that but your NHS as well as private so from the NHS point of view at those early stages with the GP there the doesn't seem to be that connects to a urologist or an andrologist it seems to be straight to the fertility clinic if there's an issue and I don't understand. The answer is very straightforward most of men in with fertility issues are actually seen by urologists in the world including the UK as well there's nothing wrong with that there are very very competent urologists in the country as well as in the world and they do an exceptionally good job. The challenge arises because now the man is seeing separated from a female. So the couple is, so a urologist is just seeing the man on his own. That's all. Okay. So in female, if there's a couple coming in, the couple is not involved at all. And that has an impact. But if they see a specialist who can see both, it's a massive impact. Because you can not only see what this sperm is going to do, you can also know what the outcome is actually. So a very simplistic way of looking at it, if you do surgery for no sperm, the success measured in the world is how many sperm we found retrieved and the success. But for a fertility specialist, success is a baby, not just finding sperm, doing the ICSI treatment and then having a baby. So that's a success. 
So different success and that appears to be a disjointed effort and most of it, it comes to resources, training. We have not trained enough people, okay? And that is maybe we have to have urologists having more input in the gynecology, in assisted reproduction. But then, of course, because the amount of time it requires, the cost it requires for training all these people. And there, as I said to you before, urologists are doing extremely, exceptionally good job, but they would not have time to be trained in there because they've got other NHS or their hospital jobs or surgeries to be done. So it is extremely challenging in this way if there's a couple come up. However, if they kind of come for assessment, it does not matter because then the gentleman is on his own. So it doesn't matter. Then he could see a urologist or they or an andrologist, but ideally should be a urologist with andrology interest and links to an assisted reproduction treatment uh, center. Because then at least if they identify something, they can do something about it, particularly like freezing. For freezing in the UK, there is a, a certain investigations are done. There is a certain set number of consent forms to be completed. Virology testing has to be done prior to freezing. So that has to be, cannot be frozen in any center. Also, another challenge in particularly in the UK that we have labs which are not all CPA accredited for semen analysis testing. So we can have variable results. So ideally, if you are listening to this, you should have a semen analysis or test done in a lab which is linked with an assisted reproduction treatment unit, fertility unit, which can have an actually facilities to do assisted reproduction treatment, IVF, ICSI, because they will have a license and they will have quality reassurances done by external auditors and HEFA in the UK. And I think I'm, I'm certain about in, in across the globe, the situation remains the same. So we've covered the tests and we've covered that there is that need for that awareness with men, that early investigation is, is really vital if there's been any history of diabetes, a hernia, undescended testes. And we talked about the gym, things like mobile phones in pockets, laptops on laps, lycra cycling are these all things to be aware of or are these all still myths and not proven in lifestyle changes because i want to move on to other lifestyle changes and, and supplements if men can um, get their head around what they can do to, to to put themselves in the best shape possible so there was a, a study done called chaps uk study and now the study done in sheffield and manchester it was done by a very excellent andrologist from sheffield and that study was done for 20 years ago, 10 uh, for the men. Now, of course, lifestyle has changed. That didn't show many evidence it has affected. However, as I said to you, the data was used for 10, 15 years. I think they're gonna do another further study. Anecdotal data showing that mobile phones have an effect, particularly in the phone, because logically it can increase the temperature of the mm. uh, testicles. And so that's, yes lycra cycling they are we see them if there is an issue and you are involved in this then maybe you should avoid it mm. because even though there is anecdotal data it is better to avoid because it will improve your may improve your outcome because it's not going to definitely harm it mm. to create enough we do not have enough information because we haven't collected large enough data to make sure that its effect can be seen however in my practice, I have noticed this, 
that this lycra the cycling shorts mobile phones laptops on your lap they have hot baths heated car seat they definitely have an impact and i have many success stories about men who have just changed their lifestyle and eventually did not require actually fertility assisted depression treatment and has a huge impact mm-hmm. so lifestyle makes a massive difference and because men we are not born with our sperm we make sperm every day and by the time we make sperm it's about 60 to 70 days old so it has an effect from stress life caffeine smoking passive smoking all the other factors which i have alluded to earlier so the sperm we produce today is not today's sperm it is an old sperm which has been in the factory we call it like a factory so it takes a while to reach there and this is unlike women who were born with their eggs mm-hmm. and they are do not make new eggs so they have a reserve already there unlike we do not have one and i think that's the basic fundamental difference which we need to explain to the the men and hopefully that will have an impact because that will make a change worthwhile All right, well let's talk about sperm health and I want to talk about supplementation because I think there's a real misunderstanding in the benefits of supplementation and what's out there that's good. And I know for example say a couple are undergoing fertility treatment that when a man is watching a woman take injections and feels a bit useless, sometimes that kind of um supplementation can help them feel that they are trying to do their best you know through through the fertility treatment or even if it's a couple that are just trying maybe it's a couple that have had failed treatment you need to understand exactly how they can affect you excellent because supplementation is very common because whenever we cannot find any solution we say let's supplementation there so supplementation can be good and bad in both same thing so good supplementation is you have to look at precise fertility male fertility supplementations rather than just generic and you have to look at each individual content or ingredient in it which has an impact but my concern on the other side is that men take too much of it sometimes so they can take one particular brand and then they take another particular brand or they have changed their lifestyle as well so they have making salads and celery and kale and you know smoothies and also top of it so you if you do can you can overdose yourself so supplementation is a medication you have to be aware this is a medication which you can overdose yourself so you have to be very careful so you have to choose carefully read them most i believe that all of us are intelligent we have the web on our fingers now we can assess them we can read people's stories and you can see each individual ingredients what they contain them and even now we can even find what this ingredient means to male fertility with even evidence so i think you have to do some research before you embark on this and if you have chosen one okay then stick to it please do not have two or three and sometimes we men have this you know i'm sorry i'm generalizing it but you know we have this we can say we want to help as much so we take one supplement and we can take another one as well or we can take protein shakes and we avoid alcohol and we avoid drinking coffee so maybe we can do sometimes too much and sometimes just let it do it itself take one believe it because it's not going to change within a month as said to you earlier 60 to 70 days it take so it'll take two to two and a half months so be patient and sometimes we are not as patient Definitely. because we 
we feel our partners are going through this treatment and then we feel responsible for it so there's a lot of mental health involved in this and we feel oh my god it's just because of me my sperm cannot reach and that's what i'm responsible so uh, we can feel low but i think there's nothing wrong with it because we in a in a relationship we are for each other and we together are for everything and we have to look after each other and you know that is what a relationship is so we have to be open and upfront because if on the other hand if a female has low egg count we have to support them so you can't feel so you have to be open and very uh, particularly about you this discussion that you have low sperm or more sperm be more open we have counseling available in fertility units across the uk as well as i'm certain globe as well and i think we men do not attend those counseling sessions enough we do not get involved in other you know stress related reflexology aromatherapy we do not because we think it's all a female thing but i think that might benefit us because our stress level will go down and then we will i'm hopeful because we can recover our sperm that is the the story which i want to tell you the outcome is we there is a possibility for us to recover may or may not happen that's a different matter but we should try we cannot just leave it as it is and we have to look at in every aspect of the way from supplementation and other holistic therapies which we can have there is currently not enough data to support that but again it's not doing harm but please don't overdose it yourself so vitamins and these are water soluble and fat soluble vitamins so water soluble vitamins are or are folic acid vitamin c so even if we take more it doesn't matter because our kidneys will flush them out but fat soluble like vitamin a it you cannot you can overdose yourself so if a woman gets pregnant we tell them not to have too much vitamin a because that can affect the baby and so the same for men we can overdose ourselves we are taking too much zinc too much selenium okay they cannot be flushed out by our kidneys so and if you do dna fragmentation testing that's one of the things for the test they always suggest that make sure that you're not taking too much antioxidants because it appears there's the easy way around let's take antioxidants it'll improve my sperm but i think you have one has to understand we are all individual people and we have individual issues with our own self we have to understand see some fertility specialist or andrologist or urologist who has got links who is doing fertility because you identify what is your particular situation and then work according to that rather than taking a generic thing on your own have you not only semen analysis had hormone profile genetic testing so identify where the first the issue is a woman doesn't start taking medications like just like this with one blood test they have an ultrasound they have further testing before they embark unfortunately for men we think we have one semen analysis and that's it the outcome is in front of us but we we have to need more before we can actually treat uh, fat soluble vitamins as i said to you earlier you we can overdose ourselves so we have to be very careful and you can easily check them out and the other thing is some discussion about certain proteins so there are only eight essential amino acids we are very fond of amino acids these days 
There are 20 in total, but eight are essential. So if nature has given us essential amino acids with eight of them, then these are essential. This was required. The rest are non-essential amino acids. And there's a lot of supplementation about selling non-essential amino acids. If they would have been good, then they would have been, nature would have given them to us. So we have to be understand this. And you can check this out on web. It's available, the essential, non-essential amino acids, and you see what this was. But again, take it yourself. And then if you're taking a supplement, just don't take a supplement for the sake of supplement. Have to have an assessment. So you do a pre-test and a post-test and see, does it make a difference? Has it changed anything? If it hasn't, this hasn't worked for you. And we have to treat with human beings. Not one medication fits to us all. And we have known this from contraceptive pill for women. We can't give one contraceptive pill to everybody. That's why there are more than 20 to 30 contraceptive pills. Same, there are various kinds of supplementation and one does not fit for oneself. So you have to assess. Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe you need to try different. But we have to have our assessment before and after. You can't be just assuming it. It will do the magic because it doesn't, unfortunately. So a lot to think about there and all the contact details for Manchester Fertility will be on the show notes. And I want to just tell you a bit about the Ultimate Fertility Guide, which is a directory that I've created where I'm gradually adding more and more services available to you within the fertility world. So hopefully you can hear about something useful within my podcast content and then head over to the ultimatefertilityguide.com and find a service that will hopefully take you to that next step or at least have another conversation with somebody there's a newsletter there that you can sign up to as well so just head over to the ultimatefertilityguide.com so my next guest is Amir Rahim a consultant andrologist from Andrology London and I wanted to get his thoughts if you're looking for a supplement to take whilst trying to conceive Pregnacare Conception and Wellman Conception provide advanced nutritional support they include zinc vitamin D and the exact levels of folic acid recommended for women by the UK Department of Health. Pregnant Care is expert nutritional care while trying for a baby. And to find out more, visit thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash shop. Now, I know how daunting it is finding out information about fertility issues. So I wanted to tell you about The Fertility Show. It's on the 3rd and 4th of November at Olympia in London and is open to anyone struggling with fertility issues or wanting to start a family. You can meet experts face-to-face, attend the brilliant seminars by leading fertility specialists and get your questions answered at the Let's Talk Fertility stage. Visit thefertilityshow.co.uk for more information. So my next guest is Amir Rahim, a consultant andrologist from Andrology London. And I wanted to get his thoughts on this research that talks about the average sperm count declining by 52% and whether he thought it was something we should be worried about. Well, you know, I think uh, of all the studies of the declining semen parameters, this study is certainly uh, the most interesting. Data is quite robust. It's a retrospective study. And semen analysis is a very subjective test that depends on the examiner. It's not like an automated test. And I think 30 or 40 years ago, semen analysis tests were conducted. There was no standardization of the technique, whereas now we have standardization of how to test sperm. And this is across the world almost. So I think it would be interesting if we do a prospective study over the next 10 or 20 years, then in in that case, we would be able to comment on whether there's a true decline or no, because 
an explanation for the findings of this study. It's just the discrepancy of how the semen test is being conducted in different countries and across the decades. Okay, it's interesting. Because one of the comments that I heard related to that report was that we still don't know what causes most cases of male infertility, which means that we don't have the tools to correct them. That was something said by Professor Richard Sharp. Okay, so male infertility is, if we look at the testis as the factory that produces sperm, male fertility can be classified into three categories. The first is a functional category, where there's a problem in the way that factory is working. The second is a blockage, where the factory is working completely normal, but there is a blockage somewhere along the genital tract that's preventing the sperm that's being produced from the testicles to come to the outside. And the third one is coital. This is related to sexual dysfunction. Some men have weak erections. Some men cannot ejaculate during sex. Some men ejaculate very soon, even before penetration. Some men have a small penile size. Some men would have a penile curvature. So broadly, these are the three categories that are associated with subfertility. And like any problem in the human body, we can classify it into congenital. That means it's related to a developmental problem. Traumatic, that means it's related to a trauma, whether it is a physical genital trauma or a surgical trauma. So you can do a surgery that causes a blockage or damages the testicles or damages the nerves that are responsible for ejaculation. And some of these problems may be secondary to an infection. Okay? You can have a, even a subclinical infection like chlamydia that blocks up the epididymis causing a blockage or an infection such as mumps or chitis that damages the actual testicular tissue. And there are, of course, lifestyle factors related to diet, smoking, intake of drugs and so on. So actually, we know many of the things that cause male factor infertility. However, what we don't know are the genetic factors. So there are maybe hundreds of genes that are involved in sperm production, and we only know a few of them. Many of the cases that I certainly see, especially the men with zero sperm count or low sperm count due to a functional problem, I can tell you that the majority of them are genetic. Uh, however, we don't know these genes, okay? So we can't even test for them. And this is where the research is happening right. to try to identify the genes that are involved in fertility. And of course, when you identify the genes, you can treat the genes. And uh, that's the future for male factor uh, infertility, especially men with severe low sperm count or azospermic men, and in particular, the subset of men with non-obstructive azospermia. Well, let's just talk about some of those conditions that you've just described, because you perform a large number of highly specialized procedures to work with some of those conditions, don't you? Absolutely. So, for example, azospermia, just explain a bit, because in my mind, that means no sperm. But you're saying that there is, but it's blocked? So there are two types. First of all, azospermia affects maybe 1% to 2% of the male population. It 1% to 2% in medicine, and so it's something that's very common, actually. Before we had ICSI, there was nothing that we can do for those azospermic men. But now with ICSI, and of course reconstructive surgery, can manage this condition. So the most important thing is to 
determine whether it is a, an obstructive azospermia, that means if there's a blockage, or if it's, an if it's non obstructive azospermia. For obstructive, and of course, I can assess this by history, examination, hormonal tests, genetic tests, and genital tract imaging. So that would help me assess whether the patient has a, an obstructive azospermia or an unobstructive azospermia. For obstructive azospermia, some of the cases you can correct surgically. So if someone has, for example, has a blockage at the level of the vas following vasectomy or following hernia surgery, I can do microsurgical reconstruction to undo the blockage. If someone has a blockage at the tail of the epididymis, uh, we perform a procedure called epididymal vasostomy, where it's microsurgery, where I connect the vas to the body of the epididymis to bypass the blockage at the tail of the epididymis, which is usually mostly post-inflammatory following infections and so on. Uh, in some cases, there's a blockage within the prostate, such as some, some, some patients may have a cyst uh, that you can uh, de-roof or a stone in the ejaculatory duct at the level of the prostate. So all these cases can be treated surgically. When we can't treated surgically, because not everything is reconstructable, sperm can be easily retrieved with a 100% success rate, either from the epididymis or the testicle, by a simple needle aspiration procedure. So this is not complex surgery. And that sperm can be used for ICSI, IVF ICSI. That's the men with obstruction. Now, for men with non-obstruction, mostly non-obstructive azospermia is related to a genetic factor that we, that we don't know. Uh, occasionally, it can be related to previous infections like mumps, can be associated with undescended testes. Almost half of the men with non-obstructive azospermia will have sperm somewhere within the testes. However, this sperm is in low numbers, so it does not make it to the outside. So, in, so those men would benefit from uh, a microdissection testicular sperm extraction, which is a procedure where I explore the entire testicular tissue on both sides using the high magnification of the surgical microscope. And that will enable me to identify the areas that are containing sperm. So it's more like a selected biopsy using the high power of the surgical microscope. Wow. Okay. So we've covered kind of getting the sperm. I'm interested to talk a bit about morphology, for example. If a guy has had some tests and that's what he's been told, uh, whether there is anything that can be done, especially if... The, the couple have been told, the guy's been told that ICSI is, is the treatment that they need. Because again, one of the um, comments that I've read in a previous study was about how there's nothing that can be prescribed to help sperm. And I was under the impression that there was supplementation that could boost sperm health. And I wondered whether that could help morphology in any way, whether anything can be done. Okay. In general, I mean, I would agree with the point of view, like when I see patients with poor morphology or zero normal forms, the first thing is that you may still have poor morphology and conceive naturally. So it's not impossible. Okay. okay. Uh, the second thing is there is no specific Pres prescription, a drug that you can prescribe or a surgery that you can do that will specifically improve 
uh, the morphology because this is related to the way the testicles work. Now, I'm going to talk anecdotally here because I don't have a study, a well-conducted study that supports this, but I believe that lifestyle factors and avoiding oxidative stress may improve the situation. Uh, not specifically to morphology, but to the overall sperm health and, uh, uh, and DNA. So really we, we need to avoid all the factors that uh, increase oxidative stress and increase DNA fragmentation. Things like smoking, unhealthy eating, lack of fresh vegetables in our diet, scrotal heat exposure, and treatment of grade three or significant varicocele. I think these things overall will improve the sperm health and improve the sperm DNA and improve the fertilizing ability of the sperm DNA. Empirically, I do give multivitamins and antioxidants to my patients, and I explained that this is empirical, uh, but that th this may help by reducing the oxidative stress, which causes damage to the sperm DNA. But we don't know all the causes of infertility, yeah. okay? And, and ICSI or IVF, this is not an actual treatment for the cause. This is looking at it as symptomatic treatment, okay? It bypasses all the barriers or all the steps for natural fertility where you literally take the sperm and inject it uh, in the ovum. But even after that, even after that happens, a series of reactions happen between the sperm and the ovum. So because we don't know all the causes, I don't think that uh, once we know the causes, we would have a, a more specific treatments, you see. In my opinion, the real test is if the couple have been trying for at least one year of unprotected intercourse, if the basic assessment of the male partner and the female partner are normal, then I would encourage them to pursue with assisted reproduction. If in your evaluation you pick up an abnormality, then treat that abnormality and let's try again for uh, one year before we consider assisted reproduction. Taking of, But if you don't pick up an abnormality, if it hasn't happened for the first one year or maybe two years naturally, the likelihood of it happening naturally is not impossible but tends to be very low. Therefore, I encourage on assisted reproduction in that scenario, especially taking into consideration that now most couples, especially in the Western world, start planning to have a family later, like females are above 30, here in London above 35, for example. So time is of essence because I'm worried about the ovarian reserve, not just about the sperm count, which tends to decline. Thank you, Amir Rahim, whose details again will be on the show notes. So if you've got any questions about any issues that I've talked about in this episode, do email natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com or if you want to share your story, always would love to hear from you. Especially guys, we need more male voices on here. The show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash sperm decline and I'll have all the details of my guests and how you can find them on social media. Plus... I said at the start, I'd let you know my socials. I'm at Fertility Poddy on Insta and Twitter. My Facebook page is The Fertility Podcast. And then there is the closed Facebook community, Talk Fertility, which I'd love you to join. There's some of my wonderful former guests who are admins, so they help with some of your questions. But it's growing to be a really lovely community. 
If you don't want to do all the social stuff and you just want to keep in touch, then thefertilitypodcast.com is the best place to go to sign up to my newsletter and I let you know when new content is out. Thank you. As 